you have Bibles? We use them, okay? We use Bibles. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out uh, this morning. And uh, I want to go ahead and just kind of, by way of introduction, kind of tell you a little bit uh, about uh, this text and why. You know, when you go to a place and you preach for the first time, oftentimes uh, people try to find some things about a church and they, they bring what they feel like they need to give to that church. Like, we, you know, uh, maybe something about your history, something about what you are, your DNA of the church, and they preach to it. I'm not doing that, okay? I'm not doing that. All I'm going to do is this. Uh, we are living in some crazy times right now, right? A lot of stuff going on, even it's affected this church even this morning. There's people not going to be able to be here this morning with us because of all that's going on. Uh, there's a lot of stirring. There's probably moments where you're, you're, you're checking your heart and you're wondering where's the hope uh, in the days that are before us. And all I want to do is to take this text and encourage you. And I would be encouraging you with this text no matter the congregation. That's actually pretty good, okay? It speaks to all of us in this time. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you have this with you, let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be in the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll be looking at chapter 4, and we'll be looking at six verses alone this morning. There's a lot to be said there in Ecclesiastes 4, but we'll be looking at the first uh, six verses. So Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 1 through 6. Now, I want to make a promise to you. I promise you, as I look at the schedule, I have 30 minutes to preach. I promise you I will speak longer than 30 minutes. I have another promise. I promise that I will speak in a timely fashion. And that means that I will speak no less or no more than what I feel as if God has got me to speak before you this morning. Is that okay? I hope that's okay. All right? So this morning, if you have that text, go ahead and have it ready. We're not going to read it yet. I want to kind of, by way of introduction, say this. How many of you guys remember growing up in your childhood generations, you know? Any of you, like 60s, 70s, 50s? Me, I'm a child of the 80s. I'm a teenager of the 90s. We salute you, 80s. We salute you, 90s. Um, one of the things in my PowerPoint I posted uh, is a couple things that I remember when I was growing up. I remember those fond memories as a child. Uh, when I uh, did my Saturday uh, childhood cartoons. How many of you remember that if you were in the 80s? Uh, 70s too. 70s kind of crossed over. We'd get up. For me, it was SpaghettiOs. Others uh, had cereal. And we would sit and watch our Saturday morning cartoons. It was beautiful. Uh, I remember riding my bike. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Well, Steve, the, the bike man. Okay. Uh, so I understand why you just kind of amen that. Um, riding my bike in the neighborhood with all the gang and the friends from the neighborhood. And back in those days, uh, you could ride, at least we had a rule in our house, that you could ride your bike, but you better be home before the, the lights went out in the streets, right? And so we would paddle our bikes, try to get home as quickly as watching the lights go boom, 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 knowing that if we got home late, oh, it wasn't going to be good. But it was a good and fond memory of those days, playing with my dog as a kid. My best friend was my dog, Peanut. Peanut. I wish I could say I had a man more manly dog than that, but I didn't. But I loved Peanut growing up. And also, I remember the Atari. The Atari. Put in that cartridge, play some pitfall, some pong. That's just, it's, that's how, I, 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 I got better as the 90s went on, but I started off with an Atari system. All I can tell you guys is if I remember back in my childhood, I remember fond memories of the 80s and the 90s. However, many of you maybe have watched this a series that came on CNN recently. They did a decades documentary. How many of you ever seen that? 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and the 2000s. Have you seen that? I began to watch that. And as I began to watch that, I watched all of them, but specifically when I got to the 80s and 90s, something came uh, very clear to me as I thought about what I watched on television. 
You see, something had began to uh, help me to realize that during those times that I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, there was actually some really important and turbulent things going on in our country. Some of you lived through that. I was, I was, I was watching cartoons, riding my bike, and playing with my dog. And what was interesting to me, as I watched that series, I realized that there was a lot of things that are going on. And I could not help but think what I, what I saw and what I understood, or better yet, what I had been distracted from. All the things that I had been distracted from and ignorant to as I lived in those decades. Because I was always consumed with the good. In those days, as the proverbial phrase goes, ignorance truly was bliss. You got it. Ignorance was bliss. Then I think, what about those things we do come to see and we do learn? Those realities of life that are simply sometimes too uncomfortable for us, uh, simply too raw for us to look at. And my question is, what do many in the American culture typically do? And I think that what Americans typically do are one or two things, specifically. One is when we start to stare at and look at the things that are raw and make us uncomfortable, one of the things that we do is we slip into the area of anxiety and worry and fear. How many of you have ever done that? Yeah, me too. Amen. That is one way in which we look at those things. The second way in which we do that is typically to distract ourselves from the too uncomfortable, raw, and the things that make us uncomfortable. What we typically may do, and that's what we're going to look at this morning more than the first. This idea of distraction, busyness, a seeking and a pursuing of ignorance, a desire to be numb as not to see what is actually true and real around us. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to know is this. This cannot be, this is not the way of the church. This is not the way of Christianity. Why? Because we are people of the light. Amen? We are the people who, who it says that we rejoice with the what? Truth. And God's word is truth. And that truth is light. I'm reminded as I think about this concept before we get into the text. Go ahead and hit that, 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 that other slide. There's a little, there's a little movie that's kind of popular back in the day called The Wizard of Oz. Have you remember this movie? Well, I was thinking about this concept. In The Wizard of Oz, you remember that uh, Dorothy and her crew, <clears throat> they approached The Wizard of Oz, and it is, uh, it is immaculate, it is powerful, it is scary stuff, fire, and loud voices and booms, and there's power there. And they shook and they trembled before the wise and powerful Wizard of Oz. And that is what they started their journey with this concept of this, this awe and uh, this amazing sight. But later on in the movie, something happens. Later on in the movie, uh, little Toto, you can hit that. You remember the little dog? He goes over to a curtain and he pulls the curtain back. And as Dorothy and the crew, they begin to remember the Wizard of Oz and all the fear they had. They see this little guy back there pulling levers and speaking into a thing in the voice of the Wizard of Oz. There's a really famous uh, part where he says, pay no attention to the little man behind the curtain. Here's the problem. The jig is up. You see, I believe that oftentimes we see things in this life that cause us fear and cause us problems and consternation of our souls. But brothers and sisters, listen to me. 
unlike Dorothy and her crew who looked behind the curtain and saw a feeble little man pulling all the strings. We look behind the curtain and we see a God who's in control of all things. Amen? There is nothing to fear on the other side of that curtain when you've seen the one who's pulling the levers on the other side of the curtain. Now, what I want you to understand is this. And yet, still yet, still yet, in life there are many people who have seen behind the curtain and seen the little man, and they listen to the little man's voice and they say, What little man? I didn't see a little man. Why? Ignorance is bliss, so they say. And so I want you to see this, this idea of how sad is it to see something, see behind the curtain, and go back to the very thing you know is not true or real. How sad can that be? And that's the reality with distraction oftentimes. Uh, and so I want us to, to, to be, be careful of not being able to look behind the curtain. And I believe this on my heart. As Christian men and women, we can't, we cannot look behind the curtain and we cannot go back to the way things used to be. I want to say that one more time. Once we've taken a look behind the white side of the curtain and who's in control, we come back into this life and we cannot be the same as what we were before. That does not happen for us. However, I've got good news, maybe bad news depending on where you're sitting this morning. Ecclesiastes will not allow us to retreat. Ecclesiastes will not allow us to turn our faces. We don't simply get to change the channel or close our eyes when we see something that makes us uncomfortable. Our text this morning causes us to stare at these realities of injustice and the evils of this world all around us. And then it calls us to abandon a life spent only in drowning out these realities and to live lives spent in the light for which all Christians are to live, being both proclaimed with the Christian's mouth and, yes, being lived out in the Christian's life. Kyle, be quiet. Let's get to the Bible. Amen? Let's get to the Scripture. So if you will, I do this everywhere I go just because I want you to realize what I'm about to read is more important than anything that can come out of this man's mouth. Why don't we stand in reverence of this word this morning as we read together. That sounded beautiful. And the text before is Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 6. And it says there in our text this morning. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and he eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Let us pray really quickly if we can. Lord God, would you be with us this morning as we open your word. Lord God, your word is power. Your word is light. I pray to God we'll see also that your word is where all hope is found. 
So Lord, I pray that you would be with the feebleness of man's mouth and mind to use this man as a mere instrument for your glory in the proclamation of this word. Lord God, you are worthy. Take away all distraction from our mindsets. Whatever we came into this room with, I pray that it would die for a moment. Whatever we need to pick back up and to remember as next week, as we got in a car with our children and all the things that go on and all the stirrings, Lord, may that die for the moment that we may give you the attention that you deserve and more. We pray these things in your name, Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you again. Now, in this moment this morning, there are three things that I want to kind of step through to kind of help us to walk through this text together. And so this morning, those three uh, points, if you're taking notes or realities, is one, we have a reality. We have a reality. And that reality is a world in need of comfort. We're going to look at that in a moment in verses 1. Oh, this is handy. This is great. Look at this. Awesome. I just just noticed that there's a screen from. This is wonderful. Number two, a reflection. You see that? You see that? I'm real subtle. Number two is a reflection. And we'll see this reflection in verses two and three. And number three is a few antithetical. When I say antithetical, it means these are things that work against what I think that uh, we want to see in the Christian life. But these are, uh, Solomon gives us uh, a few antithetical motivations. We'll see this in four and six. Four and six. So y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? All right. Point one. Point one. A reality. And that reality is a world in need of comfort. We'll see this in verses uh, 1 specifically. I want to read that again. It says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. You see, Solomon has introduced us to the concept of life under the sun. He has done this already in the first three chapters of Ecclesiastes already. He's not going to be done with it in the book of Ecclesiastes, this idea of life under the sun. But here, I would say, as one commentator put it, because of the context of our text, you could actually replace life under the sun and and you could call it life under the thumb. Life under the thumb. What is the life under the thumb? What does this mean? This is the thumb of oppression. Just to give you a little bit of meaning behind that, that means it could be wives under the harsh abuse of aggressive husband, a dictator at work in a government, maybe even leadership in the church. Unfortunately, history has been marred by such abuses. Masters to their slaves or servants, modern day, that could be bosses to their employees. The wicked against the helpless and hopeless, the strong against the weak, the rich against the poor. It says that there was power on one side, and there were only oppression on the other. Solomon looks out in our text, in all of life, and look what it says in our text. It says that he sees the tears, the visible consternation and sorrow of soul, of victims. He says, I see, I see pain and suffering of the oppressed. And what stood out to him most, this is really, really, I think, neat and weird, wasn't necessarily just the tears. It wasn't the fact that they were oppressed. What does it say next? They had no one to what? 
comfort them. If you look in your text, it actually uses, at least in the ESV version, an exclamation point. No one to comfort them. Solomon says, I can't believe this. The world is already hard and difficult as it is. But I look out and there's no one to comfort them. Here we see that what Solomon saw disturbs him. Such is life under the sun. Life under the sun is life because of the fallen and the corrupted nature due to man's sin against God. Brothers and sisters, it was not meant to be this way. God is good. Amen? He does nothing that is wrong or bad. He doesn't. It's not in his nature. He is good. Sin entered into the world as we know. And everything that we touch, everything that we see, our relationships, our bodies, everything under the sun is corrupted due to this thing called sin. It has ruined everything. And however, what disturbs him most, all this injustice, all this oppression due to sin, those oppressed, again, had no one to what? No one to comfort them. Let that sink in for a moment, church. No one to see them, no one to speak to them, no one to acknowledge that, that, that they are not alone. The issue of oppression is one thing. However, being left as if there is no hope, no redeeming quality, no remedy for their oppression is sadder still, is it not? It is one thing to be in despair and experience those things and to sit in that. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I've sat in moments, even as a pastor, in those moments of despair. And the thing that keeps me going in this world is I've looked behind the curtain and I know who wins. But if there was no light at the end of that tunnel, brothers and sisters, there would be no hope in this life for me. No hope in this life That is what would be sadder still. There was no light at the end of that tunnel. And I wonder sometimes if Solomon looked out our own day, what would he see? Brothers and sisters, he would see 63,000 child sexual abuse cases a year in this country that are caught and found according to stats in 2016. I was watching by one of your church members. They posted something on Facebook. They posted an article about save your siblings. I read the thing. It made me sick. In India, where a child is born, firstborn, they love that child. They go ahead and have a second child so they can farm that child for its parts. In case a child is unhealthy and needs blood or an organ. Can you believe this? An estimated 20 to 30 million people living in slavery. They say 80% of those sex slaves more than at any time in human history. Abortion and the slaughter of children in the womb from 1970 to 2020, which is today, is estimated at over 61 million souls. Terrorism and starvation due to harsh government oversight and greed. Wars and rumors of wars. Christian genocide. I follow this one very closely. The persecuted church is near and dear to my heart. And brothers and sisters, the church of Christ in our world is being persecuted on levels and numbers that the world has never seen in human history. And for many of us, if we're honest, in order to know these numbers and to know these truths, we have to look them up. 
For we have been often, most of us, sheltered and removed from any of these realities. Dare I say, even distracted. Even sadder still are those who seek to shelter themselves and remove themselves from these realities. It is simply far easier to quickly turn the channel and to seek to drown out the uncomfortable with the pleasures of this life. May it not be said of us. Solomon says, it should not be so. The most disturbing reality is that those who are oppressed have no one to comfort them. But listen to me, church. When I want to really get your attention, I say, listen to me, okay? Listen to me. But dare I say, there are comforters today, amen? It is those who have been brought out of darkness and into the light. Those who are dead who have been made alive. It is those who are found and those who have been changed by the mercy and the grace and the might of the gospel, amen? Brothers and sisters, if you haven't figured it out, it is you. It is us. We are the comforters, so don't miss this point. We are the comforters who can point others to the comforter. Don't miss that point. You're not that important. We are the comforters. We've been saved by the mercy of God. We've tasted and we've seen, we've seen. We've been given comfort by He who is Christ Jesus. And we seek to have others understand and know Him well. Point two. We see a reflection. This is a reflection from Solomon. I'd say Solomon's estimation of this reality. We see this in two and three. And it says there. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. This is disturbing. I'm serious. I read, I'm so disturbed. Disturbed at the reality of life under the sun, the separation of corruption due to sin, that we learn in verses 2 and 3 how Solomon gives this very disturbing statement. Not only was the oppression, which was so prevalent, unbearable, However, this issue of them not having someone to comfort them leads Solomon to congratulate six feet under folk. Congratulations, dead people. You're in a good place. Goodness. Go be merry. <laughs> he doesn't just, he goes further than that. He goes on to congratulate the dead who, have, who are now out of this world, out of this world of corruption and, 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 and degradation due to sin and its curse. Then he goes on to say, no, better than both the living and the dead are those who have not yet been born. Congratulations, those who have no names. You are far better off never having been born than have lived in this world and to even be dead after having had to live in this world. This is disturbing. Job says some of the same issues. I see this in Job 3.3. 3. Job says, let the day perish, let it die, on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Jeremiah the prophet says of himself, why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you knew this or not, Life is hard, okay? Oh, I forgot, I'm trying to get your attention. Listen to me. Life is hard. It's difficult. And you want to know why? Sin. 
And, and if you want to go ahead and go a step further to peel back that layer of sin, listen to me. You, we, who committed sin, our father, Adam and Eve, first, uh, they continue that. It's continued with us. We were born into it, radically depraved. This life under the sun, this life under the curse due to the fall, just think. The atheist, and I say so-called, you need to know something about me. I don't believe in atheists. Romans 1 says they don't exist. But there are some who say they do not believe in God. And when they say they do not believe in God, can you believe that the atheist has to say, the Epicurean has to say, eat, sleep, and be merry for tomorrow we what? Die. Where's the hope in any of that? This is it. This is all you get. Congratulations, coronavirus. You just took us out at the knees. Brothers and sisters, we know that this is not true. This is not truth. Is this it? Is this all that we have? Is this all the hope we have? And as believers, we can never afford to fold our arms and say, well, that is just too bad. Tough for them. That's the way of the world and the way it works. Listen to me. This is far as you can get from biblical, mature Christianity. You Christian who have been saved and redeemed in Christ the lost who have now been found, the blind who now sees. You have you who have looked behind the curtain and you see the reality of a great and merciful and big God. Those of you who know how it all turns out, where there will be no more tears and there will be no more pain and there will be no more oppression. We can't afford to numb ourselves off to the realities of this world in which God has sent you to be messengers and givers of hope for the hopeless and help for the helpless. But there is more. We're going to bleed over into point three right here in a second, okay? There is more, and I I, I need to stop because I need you to hear something very, very, very important. This pastor is not suggesting that this is a social justice issue of mere physical reality alone. Poverty, those who are impoverished, We should care for them, sure. Those who are hungry, let us feed them. Those who are naked and oppressed, we should bring, seek justice. And we want to clothe them. And I want to tell you that this is a part of what I'm about to say for sure. However, what I'm about to say is about those who have a different oppression. What about those who are being oppressed by sin itself? Oppression is also, listen to me, spiritual. And we can say, we literally should say, that, we, that everything actually is perpetrated. All the physical, all the things that we see wrong in this world, the hungry belly, the person who is oppressed, those who are oppressing, all of these flow down from the reality and find their perpetual root from this overarching issue of the spiritual oppression of our souls due to sin. Actually, if all focus is given to the physical, devoid and separated from this reality of sin's oppression, being under a curse, we as Christians are truly, listen to me, missing the entire point. You put the cart before the horse. It is as if we're putting band-aids on an open wound needing surgery. We must not seek to maintain the bleeding church No, as Christians, we seek to stop the bleeding altogether. We are surgery people, not band-aid people. Let us comfort the oppressed. 
the hungry and the hopeless. However, also let us with great passion and zeal comfort the spiritually oppressed with the healing balm of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my question is this. Is it really better not to see them? Speaking of the spirit physically oppressed, is it better to remove ourselves from them? Is it better to pretend that we have not peered behind the curtain? It may be better for us in our earthly pursuit of peace, ignorance, comfort, and ease. However, maybe not so much for the never-dying souled neighbor or family member or friend and God's glory. Maybe not for those who are hopeless and helpless apart from the remedy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Removing ourselves, hiding ourselves, and dodging from these realities is not the intent, I believe, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation of your very own souls. The gospel rescues you from triple C Christianity, comfy couch Christianity. It rescues you from it. It's not to lead you to it. It's to pull you away from that. You were redeemed, redeemed for so much more. The gospel is a gift as well as is a call. And brothers and sisters, that call is in, in and of itself a gift. To speak and to live unto the glory of God and the good of your neighbor. It's, they had no one to comfort them in this morning's text. Shall not be the designation of the people of God. Amen? Not the church, not the redeemed who have received comfort in this life because we know intimately the comforter of all of life. Point three, you ready? Point three. Solomon gives us a couple antithetical motivations that work against, I believe they work against us actually truly being a comfort in the way that God would intend the church to be. We see this in verses four and five, and let's look at that again together. Then I saw that all the toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and he eats his own flesh. One. For the church, the redeemed, the motivation to comfort the oppressed is not found through greed. I, I still, I use the word greed because of the word envy that I see in our text. Envy of wanting something that someone else has. We know this as keeping up with the whom's. The who's from the south. I was trying to be real. Whom. You like that? You like that, Steve? You're from New York. Does that work? The whom's. Keeping up with those Joneses. What good is all the money if not to help those who have none to comfort them? But I want to kind of spin it a little bit, if you allow me the liberty. Do you know that you can keep up with the Joneses in more than just a physical, envious way? Do you know that you can also keep up with the Joneses spiritually, in a religious way? And I'm not talking that this is good. Let me stand before the masses, let them hear my prayer. A brother of mine here, a pastor friend, reminded me that you're not important. Don't make a name for yourself, preach Christ. What a great reminder before I preach, isn't it? Envy says, I want to keep up with the Joneses, maybe, maybe physically, but you can do this spiritually. I want to get ahead spiritually. Look at me. I did this for the poor. Look at me. I went on mission trips. I did this. La, da, 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 da. Boom, 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 boom. Look at my religious checklist. And you could seek religiously, yes, to keep up with the Joneses. This is the opposite of looking in the reality of the world's oppressed. This is a vision on self once again and life distracted from those in need as to better seek our own earthly good. 
Having and possessing is the person, this person's aim, rather than being a comfort. Something that can be experienced, here I say it again, both physically, greed and money, and spiritually. Listen to how I say this. Hoarding and hiding the message of the gospel. Yes, you can be greedy with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not hoard that which was freely given to you. Don't you be greedy. Don't keep up with the Joneses in such a fashion. Not us. We who will comfort because we have found comfort. Number two, for the church redeemed, the motivation to comfort the oppressed is not found in laziness. See this in verse 5? Those who fold their hands and eat their own flesh. My hands aren't busy. It's time to eat. Well, then you'll eat what your hands have made. Your hands have made nothing. Eat yourself. You see, the lazy, those who do not try and give care in being a help to those in need, but are themselves self-centered individuals who become a burden to others. They're merely takers. We want all the benefits of the resources, the physical and the spiritual, in the church, but we don't want none of the obligations that come with being the bride of Christ. Let me be clear. The lazy have become thieves. We in Christ have not been saved to rob comfort from others. We are tasked with giving comfort to others, having received. You who are in Christ were told to come and sit at the rich man's place at the table. You eat the choices of meat. Don't you go over there to those who have not yet been allowed to eat at the table and steal their food. The lazy steal the food of those who are most needy. Our text this morning establishes that our motivation, God's people, is to be a comfort to the oppressed, both physically, sure, I've said that, I've covered it, and spiritually, understanding that the spiritual always feeds everything else. For what? God's glory, their good, Conclusion time. Here's my conclusion. In our joy. I want to conclude on that. We do these things as Christian men and women for God's glory, their good, and our own joy. Meaning in the life of the servant of God, being a comfort to others should be understood to bring us the comforted real joy. Verse 6 says, Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. In other words, all this toil, all this skill in work, all these things that we seek to distract ourselves with, even these antithetical motivations that Solomon deals with this morning in Ecclesiastes 4, they are all just striving after the wind. My wife says, how pathetic would it be? This is my wife's illustration. If you like it, tell her. How pathetic would it be if I'm out in my front yard and you see me out there with a net and I'm just doing this day in and day out every minute of every day and you go, Kyle, what are you doing? Trying to catch the wind. Month later, what are you doing? Catching the wind. A year later, catching the wind. Fifty years later, catching the wind. The wind. It's like trying to catch smoke. It's a vapor, it says. Other places in Ecclesiastes. Have you ever tried to catch smoke? Just always seems to not fit in my pocket. 
catching the wind. All of these things are but catching nothingness. How sad of a picture is that? This is not the picture of the redeemed, for we have found comfort and hope in Christ and the gospel. The comfort is not fleeting. It is not based on circumstances. Outside situations cannot move it off of its axis. It does not flow through our nets. Brothers and sisters, the gospel, its promises, God's word is resolute. It's unshakable. It's fixed. It can be caught. Amen? And we are the ones who stand in this room and sing because we have found and caught it. Do not hoard that which you have found from those who have not yet found it. For those who in the gospel have looked behind the curtain, we cannot go back. Brothers and sisters, I beg you, don't look behind that curtain and go back. Who wants to go back? I'm ruined. A cheap imitation of a move of God won't work for me anymore. False fire worked before, and then I looked behind the curtain. And when I looked behind the curtain and saw Christ, I want nothing more than Jesus alone. And all our fake and phony will not feed the soul. For those who in the gospel look behind the curtain, we cannot go back, nor will we desire to go back. Solomon says, what most disturbs him is that all these people had no one to comfort them. Listen, Christian. There is a real, and I'm still in a word from our text, quietness. If you see, Solomon uses that. Quietness. The word quietness in our text simply means rest, peace of mind, and calmness of soul. Amen? For those who have found Christ and who have stepped into the role and purpose for which they were saved, redeemed and gifted. All this comfort business, physically and more importantly proclaimed, this is a spiritual It is all for God's glory. It is all for the good of a lost and dying world. And listen to me in my conclusion. It is for our joy, our peace, our understanding and waking up. I am doing that which Christ has called me to do in the gospel. Enjoy those Saturday morning cartoons, church. My wife said, you better put this in there. They're going to think that you just said that Christians can't have fun now. First off, basically, all this is the fun stuff. But my wife is a balance to me in a way that I often need it. She is wisdom for me. So let me just say this. Enjoy those Saturday morning cartoons. Slide into that Atari cartridge and get your pong on, okay? Pedal your bike as fast as you can from spending all day long playing with your friends. Amen. Uh, the bike thing, I got it. Okay, okay. You, friends, he don't care about bikes, he cares. My my bikes are my friends. (laughs) But make sure that all these amen-worthy good things, good, good things, all these good things don't distract you from the best things. They don't distract you from the better things. Being people due to the gospel who seek to comfort the oppressed, which is a far better And beautiful thing, and brothers and sisters, it is a lasting thing that will outlive you in a place where there is no more pain, there is no more, there is no more oppression, there is no more tears, and we do this as the church for God's glory, for the good of those who do not yet know Him, and yes, for our joy.
Let us pray this morning. Father God, I come before you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us this morning. To not seek to distract ourselves and things that are going on, even in our own culture and climate and time. Many of us, if anybody in this room is like me, are probably prone to worry and fear and anxiety. Because we see the waves around us, we see the wind and the turmoil around us, Lord, and we, we get distracted from the reality that you have won. That you're in control of all things, Lord God, and, and, and nothing got past your gaze or your vision this day, next week, next month. You've seen it all before it happened. But Lord God, I pray that you would not allow your people to slumber and sleep. But that we would see, Lord God, that you are fully in control. And if anyone is to give anyone comfort, if there's anyone to give anyone hope in this day and age, it is not going to be from Facebook posts, articles written possibly on blog sites, From a world that does not know what lies behind the curtain. When we don't know what's behind the curtain, all we know is the one who stands before us is scary and fearful. But when we've seen the one who is behind the curtain, all that is before us in this life is no longer scary. And we are no longer fearful. Help us, Lord God. Point others to the truth of that reality in the gospel in a hope that they may not yet know. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rectifying that sin debt that we owed in Christ Jesus. That all is made new and restored. May we too, Lord God, comfort those who had no one to comfort them, I pray. Amen. Amen.